My name is Parker McHenry, and I'm a junior at Riverview High School. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. God of love, in whose name we have been consecrated for discipleship and service, encounter us in this hour that we may grow in knowledge and action. Disturb our certainties so we will be open to new insights. Upset our priorities to make room for faith, hope, and love. Expand our horizons to encompass ideas we have not entertained before. Open our hearts to people we have failed to welcome into our midst. Perfect among us that childlike trust that allows change to transform us in the presence of your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised and praised to the glory of God.
Please stand. Come one and all to worship, to meet God here. Let all who are suffering find hope in this place. Come, all who are weary and oppressed. God offers relief and enlists our mutual helpfulness. Come together to sing songs of praise to God. Give thanks for God's wondrous deeds. Come, let us worship God. God tells us that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. Let us confess our sins and pray the prayer of confession together. Merciful God, you know us better than we know ourselves, but we have not believed this. You care about us even when we do not love ourselves, but it has been hard for us to understand that this is true. We see so dimly and hear your word so faintly that we doubt your truth. We dare not trust the prophets or risk the cost of discipleship. We are afraid to believe, hope, and endure when there is suffering all around us. O oh God, grant us courage to change, to follow Jesus in spite of ridicule and rejection. Yet keep us in insisting on our own way, 
which may not be your way. In Jesus' name, amen. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. And now, let us say what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. For thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you to turn and greet your neighbors. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. It's good to see you. We got good news. We paid our electric bill this past week. (laughs) Yay, that's the good news. The bad news is if you didn't like the start of last week's sermon, you're going to hear the whole thing today. So so just buckle your seatbelts. We're going to have a good time. We are delighted that you are with us to be in worship and for us to wonder about what has God up to in our lives and how might God be calling us into the world to bring the gospel 
into the world that others might come to know of his great love for us. We always uh, call your attention to the friendship paths which are in the pews and pass those along to your neighbors and we encourage you to uh, take note of those who are signing the pad. We would love to get your information, all of it, especially if you would like to hear from us electronically through email and otherwise, please let us know your email address. That way we can put you on our list and get to you timely news uh, throughout the course of the week. So we hope that you'll join us and do that for us as well. We have uh, lots of great things going on in our life here at Church of the Palms, as is always the case. This week we will be uh, starting our Open Palms meetings, and this is to talk a little bit about our uh, Open Palms campaign, to talk about our master plan, which is in process right now. We're looking at a potential building project that we'd like to make you aware of, and we would love to have you join us. It begins on Saturday with a men's breakfast and then a couple of other gatherings on Saturday. We have signups available for you. Many of you have received mailings about this. But uh, we would love to have you put on your coat and go underneath the tree and sign up for those. If you'd like to learn more about those uh, meetings, you can uh, talk to folks who are underneath the tree and they'd be glad to give you the information. We have a congregational meeting coming up this Sunday, a week from today. And that will be at 12 o'clock after our second service this is our annual meeting where we get to celebrate all the great things that took place at Church of the Palms this past year and also look ahead in anticipation of what God will be doing with us and through us in the year ahead. So come and join us next Sunday at 12 noon for our congregational meeting. Also, if you'd like to learn more about the master plan that's unfolding, we have members of the committee that are out there with beautiful drawings to help you get acquainted with what it is that we are up to. A week from Wednesday, we will have Dmitry Todorov, who is one of our missionaries, a Bulgarian over uh, and doing some great work overseas. And we're grateful that he will be with us on the 3rd of February, Wednesday. And he will be, along with his wife, preparing a Bulgarian feast for us in the campus center. So if you have been anxious to eat Bulgarian, we would love to have you come and uh, join us for that. But more importantly, to hear about the great work that God is doing uh, through the Todorovs in a very uh, difficult and challenging place in this world. We are grateful because I'm sure you have figured out by now that today is Student Ministry Sunday, a chance when we get to share with you a little bit about what student ministry is all about. And Lori Haas, who is our Executive Director of Ministries, is going to share with us a little bit about our student ministry. Thank you. So I am one of the lucky ones, as you may know, because I get to go on at least one summer trip every year with these students, and these are some amazing, amazing kids. They love God, they care for one another, and they seem to have their eyes and their hearts open for those that are on the margins. I'm also lucky because we have an amazing group of volunteers who will go on these summer trips, and I want you to hear their names so that you can thank them and that you can ask them what it was like because maybe it might be something you would want to do sometime. So Kevin, would you read those names for us? Yes, we have Ray Backage, Lori Creasy Carroll, Cindy Lanou Foster, Brian Haas, Jordan Goodwin, Linda Lehman, Bill Mallet, Andrea and Cliff McHenry, Tammy Pinozo, John Sego, and Brooks Vanderzee. Thank you. So you may know that, yeah, actually our students are going, yeah, thank you, that's so great. 
you may know that our students have four opportunities to go on summer trips. Three are mission trips, and one is the youth conference to Montreat. These trips could not happen without your support, and we are so grateful for that. What you might not know is that our students have the requirement of serving 15 hours in this church to be able to go on a trip. Last summer, most of our students served over 30 hours to the church. They did things like working in the nursery and helping in kids' chapel, kids' worship. They served dinners. They've thrown mulch. They've cleaned toys. They've worked on technology. They acolyte. They greet. They do all sorts of things. They go on retreats of younger kids and help lead those experiences. So we think that this is like really important because these kids all get to connect with one another. But even more important is that we are teaching them how to be the church because we worship every Sunday, don't we? Then they go to small groups, and if they're lucky, they get to go to Wednesday night youth group, and then they use the gifts that God has given them to give back right here in this place and then out in the world. They are such a great example for us about equipping disciples for the service of Christ. So today, we are here to serve you, and we're here to thank you. Because of your generous support, these kids have an opportunity to experience God in new and exciting ways. You may have gotten your letter in the mail. We think a lot of you have because we've gotten the pledge cards back. But if you are not on our mailing list, you will see in the pews in front of you these We Are cards. If there's not one in front of you, the kids will be at the doors as you leave in case you need them. It has all the information about the program. Basically, we are hoping to have 300 sponsors who are able to give $100, but that's only one part of the partnership. We, of course, want your prayers. We need your prayers. But more than that, we need your presence. Kids today, more than any other time, need godly men and women connecting with them. Not perfect men and women by any stretch, just people like you and me who are trying to follow Christ, but we need to be real and authentic and be willing to connect with these guys. And you might go, what do I possibly do with a middle schooler or a high schooler? I'm here to help you. If you have the spiritual gift of baking cookies, I can show you, come on a Wednesday night, 50 teenagers and, and preteens that would be just in, overjoyed to meet you. Maybe you want to go on a mission trip. Maybe you've never been on a mission trip. You will, I promise, meet God in new and exciting ways. Maybe you're good with woodworking. How about teaching our middle school boys how to build something really cool? Keep an eye on your power tools, just saying. Whatever it is, know that you have something to offer this next generation. And here's the best part. Our connections are only limited by our own imagination. So thank you so much for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for wondering and considering how you might be able to partner with these kids that we get to call ours. So now we want to give you just a really quick snapshot of who we are. Come on up. We're going to all just get in a big line and excellent. We are students. We are scared. <laughs> we are learning. We are shy. 
We are doubters. We are the children of God. We are dancers. We are growing. We are courageous. We are the present. We are believers. We are outgoing. We are friends. We are athletes. We are grateful. <laughs> we are the future. And our closing one, we are the church. Thank you.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you promise that when we pray, you will not only listen to us, but also answer our prayers. Hear our prayers today as we pray for your people near and far. Lord, today we pray for the person who you have already chosen to be the new student ministry director. Please guide the search team while giving them wisdom and discernment. During this search, Lord, we ask that you allow our interim director, Tony, to lead all of us students closer to you in this season of waiting. Father, we lift up the leaders of this congregation. Please help them to hear your voice in all the decisions they make and give them courage and compassion to lead well. As we look to the future and make plans for a new building, we ask for your spirit to be among us. Stir up in each one of us, Lord, generosity and creativity to reach others in new ways, bringing them closer to you. Gracious God, you have given us so much. We know that with great abundance comes great responsibility. We ask that you help us use our time, talents, and treasures to help those who are hungry, homeless, sick, addicted, lonely, afraid, and emotionally unstable. God, we know it breaks your heart when people are bullied and persecuted. We ask that you give us tolerance and acceptance to those who are different than us, but still loved equally by you. Lord, we pray that you give us courage to stand up for the injustice in our schools, our community, and our world. As we try to be more like you, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We now have an opportunity to give our tithes and offerings back to God. The ushers will now come forward to receive our gifts.
Let us pray. Dear Father, as our Savior Jesus has taught us, it is more blessed to give than receive. And with that heart, we give these tithes and offerings to you. Thank you for giving our church family the opportunity to give back to you. May these offerings bless others as you have blessed us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated. We would now like to invite the children to come forward for the children's moment. So welcome everyone. If you guys can just sit down here on the steps and look this way, we've got some special characters from the Bible that are gonna join us to help tell the story about how Jesus shows compassion. If you guys can sit down here and look this way. So come on up guys. Okay, so we're back in the Bible days, and where it's about when Jesus was teaching. You guys, can you come up this way? Because I've got my Bible characters are going to come up on the stage here. So scoot down this way a little bit on the steps, right here, right here, right here on the steps, so you can see. Come down this way. So back in the days when Jesus was teaching, um, he got in a boat and he went across the Sea of Galilee. And when he got out of the boat, there was a whole bunch of people. See, a lot of people came because they knew that Jesus had these special healing powers. And so Jesus came into the crowd. And now there were two very different people in the crowd that knew about Jesus' healing powers. And they were there. One of them was a synagogue ruler. He was a really important guy, and he came along, and um, he was so sad because his 12-year-old daughter was dying. Jairus was his name, and he came to Jesus and fell to his knees. Master, master, my little daughter is dying. Please come touch her, then she will be healed. So Jesus went with Jairus, and, um, and as they were on their way, there was another very scared and afraid and sick woman that was in the crowd. She was scared because she was considered unclean and she wasn't supposed to be there. She thought to herself, if I could just touch his robes, I know I can be healed. So very quickly, she leaned down and just touched Jesus's robe. Immediately, she was healed. Jesus right then felt power leave his body. He turned around and said, Who touched me? <laughs> Jesus, do you see all these people around you? They're all touching you. <laughs> Jesus looked around some more. He wanted to know who touched him. The, girl, the woman who was healed, she was so scared she didn't want people to get her in trouble because she really wasn't supposed to be there. She turned around and told Jesus the truth. I'm sorry, I just knew that if you touched me, I could be healed. Dear yes. woman, oh. <laughs> dear woman, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Your suffering has ended. Now, while they were talking, some of the people from Jairus' home came, hurried over to tell Jairus, Jarius, Jarius, your daughter has died. It is no use to bother Jesus. She's gone. Do not be afraid. Just believe. 
while, while they were on their way, Jesus came along to try to see. And, and when they got to Jairus' home, there she was, Jairus' daughter lying there dead. Jesus says to the daughter, Little girl, I say to you, get up. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how Jesus, his compassion, shows his compassion to us. When we have God's love in our heart, it allows us to show compassion to others. I'd like for the kids to show, to tell how God overflows in your life and you can show compassion to others. Jared? Sometimes I help my friends if they're having trouble in school. Nice. Sheila? On Tuesdays after, Tuesday afternoons, I go to Filthy Shores and I read to little kindergartners. What about you, Nathan? I help with the little kids in the chapel. I like to bake for my friends and family. I like to serve on the summer mission, tri mission trips. Yes, we are moved by compassion from the love that God puts in our hearts. Let's pray. Gracious God, you show us through these parables how Jesus shows compassion for all types of people. Thank you for dwelling within our hearts so that we may show your compassion and love to others. Amen.
You may be seated. I was thinking during our service this morning about the fact that in our next service we're going to have a baptism over there. And I think as the people of God we know that that's, that's where it all gets started, over there at that baptismal font when a little baby is baptized and brought into the greater family of God. And it's at that point, right, where we make those promises that what we will do as a life, as our life together is to gather around that child and to do our best to raise that child into the love and faith of our community and into his or her own love and faith in Jesus Christ. And today is a part of that, right? Today is a part of that journey. Today is a part of our investing in the lives of those little infants and children and students who are growing in our midst to discover within the family of God, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Our investment in our students and our infants, our children, our families is perhaps maybe the most important thing we do in the life of our church. And so I'm grateful that we have a service like this where we can present uh, in visible ways what it means for us to be the body of Christ, what it means for us to make good on our baptismal promises and our covenants so that we can understand that perhaps, especially in this day and age, the most important thing we can do is to pass on our faith to the next generation. It's always been said that the kingdom of heaven and the Christian church is always one generation away from extinction. And so we're grateful when we have the opportunity to think more concretely about what that means. Well, as I said, we're gonna be going back to the lessons that we looked at last week. And today we're looking at the prophet Jeremiah in the 29th chapter and also the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter, as we reflect upon the kingdom of God. So hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us from Jeremiah 29, beginning at the 10th verse. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon 70 years are completed will I visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. And when you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. I will let you find me, said the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And then these words about the ministry of Jesus, the fourth chapter of Mark. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he began to teach them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, 
A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path. The birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into the good soil, and brought forth grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, let anyone with ears to hear listen. Then at the thirtieth verse, he also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? Well, it's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. <clears throat> By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come, to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, where we pray this in his name, amen. In James Michener's classic historical novel, Hawaii, the great storyteller begins his tale at the beginning, the very, very, very beginning. He starts with imagining the central Pacific without the islands of Hawaii and postulates that tens of millions of years ago, it took, it took these small masses of land to emerge. It took tens of millions of years. The volcanic activity on the ocean floor, the emerging mountains of molten rock, the descending glaciers of the ice age, and then finally the islands began to emerge and peak their heads above the oceanic waters. Michener then imagines how long it must have been, tens of thousands of years perhaps, before anything resembling life began to form on these volcanic islands. And he imagines the day when upon this barren rock lands a bird, some tropical bird, which by the help of the Pacific wind currents has likely flown off course and drifted to these islands. And from some previous vegetative feast, this bird happens to bear inside a seed or two left over from the digestion of some exotic plant. And, and through nature's calling, these seeds, along with their accompanying fertilizer, are deposited. And one of these seeds even manages to trickle down into some crevice where there is just enough soil into which it embeds itself. The rain and the sun do their part, and the seed germinates, and a, a plant begins to grow, and seeds form at the end of its stalks, and the wind scatters the seed to other crevices, more germination, and what results over the next series of millennia are what we now know as the islands of Hawaii, islands to which I've never been, but according to reports are quite lovely. <laughs> a paradise, they say, a place where close to 10 million tourists make restorative pilgrimage every year. And all from the tiniest of seeds. The start, shall we say, of something big. 
You know, when Jesus was looking to explain to his followers and listeners about the power of the kingdom of God, he didn't have to look far to find a helpful metaphor. Walking up and down the dusty roads of Palestine, watching farmers do their thing, plowing and planting and watering and harvesting their crops, it didn't take long for it to dawn on him that the idea of a seed carries with it the amazing lesson of what the kingdom of God can do. We need only to look out our northern doors to that great live oak and its branches that cover the center of our campus, and think back to over 200 years ago and imagine that somehow, some way, a seed found its way into the soil, a seed likely no bigger than the tip of my finger, and out of this tiny little part of creation came this massive, lovely, stately tree that shadows us from the sun and gathers us up as the people of God, all from something this, this, this small. And so as to make his point, Jesus goes as far as to find himself a mustard seed, the the tiniest of all the seeds, and points out the botany that from the tiniest of all the seeds comes the largest of all the shrubs. And while mustard seed plants may not make it as big as a live oak, the truth of the matter is something really big can come from something really small. And that the further truth of the matter is that when you're imagining what God can do in his power, you need really only to look around you and see what God already does with his power. The universe is full of God's power and that power is found not as much in the biggest of all things, but in the smallest of all things. A couple of weeks ago, the world was put on watch when the news from North Korea was that they had tested underground a hydrogen bomb. Now, I know absolutely nothing about thermonuclear bombs, nothing except that somewhere at the start of something so potentially destructive is the splitting of an atom, an atom something you can't even see with your naked eye. And when something that small is divided into something smaller, a massive amount of energy is released. Harnessing the energy of this this tiny particle is what creates bombs that can destroy cities and civilizations and can also bring electricity often to structures such as these. So Jesus says something really big can get started with something really, really small. And because he's talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking right about the love and grace and hope that God has for our lives. That as real as the force may be that comes from the seed and from the atom, so real is the force that comes from the same creator who generates love and grace and hope. It only takes something small for God to do something very big in our lives, to give us a little bit of love, to give us a little bit of grace, to give us a little bit of of hope. Victor Frankl, in his moving account of survival in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II, remembered one freezing night when he was ordered, quite pointlessly, 
to dig in the frozen ground a hole, a hole for which there would be absolutely no use. But nevertheless, he was ordered to dig a hole in the frozen ground. He was beyond despair and wondered if he would make it even through the night. When all of a sudden he looked up and through the prison fence, way in the distance, he noticed a light go on inside a farmhouse, a distant farmhouse. Just one little light. And Frankel said to himself, light can still shine in the darkness. And spurred by this little bit of hope, Frankel began thinking while he was digging of his, of his wife who had been taken from him to another camp. And he thought so deeply of her that he could feel her presence and as he felt her presence, suddenly a bird, a, a little bird, flew silently down and perched right in front of him and sat there and stared at him for the longest time. A little bit of light, a little bit of life, and it inspired him just enough to hold on, and he did, and he survived, and he ended up writing one of the great masterpieces of the 20th century, Man's Search for Meaning. You see, it only takes something small for God to do something quite big in our lives. If only to give us just a little bit of love, a little bit of grace, a little bit of hope, a little bit of light, a little bit of life, So the word of God comes through Jeremiah to the people of Israel who are in exile in Babylon, these people who have been waiting oh so very long to be given their home back, these people who have been told by their captors over and over again, give it up. The word of the Lord comes from Jeremiah and the word is, for surely God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. That's the kingdom of God, right? That the power of the universe is in the God who yearns for our welfare, who desires no harm, whose eagerness it is to give us a future with hope. Just, just a tiny seed it takes, just a, a tiny hope to hold on to, just a faith in the grace and the hope of God for the greatest of things to happen for us. It all starts with the tiniest of seeds. But of course, every seed, right, needs its soil. And so Jesus is good to tell us not only of the power of the seed, but of the nature of the soil, that every seed needs its soil, every seed needs its soul. 
Every potential of the kingdom needs a soul in which to embed itself. And Jesus tells us that God is this gracious farmer who is not stingy with the seed. Oh, he'll throw it anywhere. Anywhere that that seed might have a chance. The hard soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, all the way to finally the good soil. Long time ago, I was wrestling with this passage, and I went to a landscape contractor in my congregation to ask him, about what a good soil might consist of. And for the next 15 minutes, I heard a lecture on soil nutrients, uh, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus, calcium, and on and on until I kind of got dizzy. And then almost as an aside, he said, something that finally made all the sense in the world. Said he, you know, you can have all those things, even at just the right balance. But it won't make a bit of difference unless the soil is broken. Broken, said I. Yeah, yeah, he said, you know, unless the soil is tilled, you know, unless the soil is disked up, unless the soil is cultivated, unless the seed can find a good roughed up soil, it's likely never going to grow. Well, of course, I said. Of course, because how would the kingdom of God make its way into our souls except through those broken places, those cracked up places in our lives, those, those wounds that go deep, those gaps between who we are and what we want to become. Is there, if there is any chance that the kingdom of God has in us, it is in those places that have been broken, broken up. Those, those places maybe where we have been roughed up a bit, the, that soil that has been disked deep inside of us. You, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've been broken a bit yourself. Maybe you have been broken a bit by, by grief. Maybe you've been broken a bit by family issues, or maybe you've been broken a bit by a loss of employment, or maybe you've been broken a bit by a turn in your health or by depression. Maybe you've been broken a bit by addiction. Maybe you've been broken a bit by divorce. Maybe you've been broken a bit by a downturn in the economy. Anne Lamott, the profound Christian writer, talks about her descent into depression and drug abuse leading up to her spiritual awakening, and she said, I was cracking up, cracking up. But the cracks are where the light gets in. And Jesus would add, the cracks are where the seed gets in. I lived and pastored in Philadelphia for a while, and while I was there, the Phillies had a player named Jim Eisenreich. Eisenreich was one of those really good players that you'll never see in the Hall of Fame. And while he was with the Phillies, he put together a couple really good seasons, and while all of that was good, it wasn't what Jim Eisenreich cared most about, because what Jim Eisenreich cared most about were kids who suffered from a neurological disorder called Tourette's Syndrome. Most of us have heard about this condition that provokes in a person involuntary movements and sounds that can be quite embarrassing and debilitating. Well, Jim Eisenreich had a heart for kids afflicted with this condition because, of course, he, the Major League Baseball player, was afflicted with the same. 
right smack dab in the middle of his baseball career came this syndrome that shook this deeply religious man to the core, this condition that he hated and that he fought and that he despaired over until the day when it dawned on him, said he, maybe the greatest gift God gives us is the gift of unanswered prayer. Maybe, he said to himself, this is the very thing my life is supposed to be about. And so inside the crack, inside the broken, roughed up place of his life, a seed fell. And Jim Eisenreich, baseball player, realized that there were two things he needed to do. He needed to play the best baseball he could so he could spend the rest of his time giving kids, Tourette's kids, the inspiration to deal with their condition. And so every month while he played for the Phillies, when they were on the road in a different town, Jim Eisenreich would buy a section of seats in the stadium and invite the kids from the local Tourette support groups to come to the game. And after the game, he and his fellow players, major league players, would spend time telling those kids that there was hope. Today, he runs the Jim Eisenreich Foundation for Children with Tourette's Syndrome. You see, only through the cracks can the light shine. Only through the cracks can the seed fall. Maybe you remember the name Tony Melendez. Tony Melendez was that Nicaraguan boy who was born with no arms. His family immigrated to East Los Angeles, and for whatever reason, he decided that maybe he could learn to play the guitar with his feet. And so he did, and he didn't just learn to play guitar with his feet, he learned to play it better with his feet than most could do it with their hands. When it was announced that Pope John Paul II would visit Los Angeles during his United States tour, Tony was invited to play for the Pope. And so before a crowd of hundreds of thousands, Tony, some would say broken Tony, played his guitar and visibly moved, the Pope wrapped his arms around him. In his book, Tony recalls, after the concert, I was walking backstage through the waiting crowd of old friends and new, and at the back of the crowd, I saw a badly deformed young woman in a wheelchair, her arms and legs twisted, but she smiled and tried to wave as I passed. I kept walking toward the exit, and then for some reason I stopped and turned around and walked back in her direction. And when she saw me standing now beside her, her eyes filled with tears, she reached out her hand toward me and struggled to speak. Tony, she said, because of you, we all have hope. And some of the seed fell on the good soil, the broken soil, the dist deep soil. And it yielded 30, 60, 100 fold. Lord knows where your cracks come from. But one thing is for sure, you have them. 
You can't really live in this world without getting roughed up a bit. Some of the cracks are big, some are small. But isn't that the good news? <laughs> that from the smallest seeds come the biggest trees. The kingdom of God in its tiniest form, the love of God, the grace of God, the hope of God, the light and life of God in its smallest visage is more than enough power to bring about the greatest of all life. And that all the cracks, all the broken places, all the roughed up spots of our souls is the very soil for God to start his greatest thing.